Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with Vanessa Barboni Halleck, and she is the founder of Another Tomorrow. Just a moment, she will be with us and share her story. Tell us what she is up to. Remember that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you as a listener or a potential guest. In just a moment, we'll be right back with Vanessa. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. As I went walking and ribbon the highway, I saw Welcome back. This is Heartstock Radio. Our guest today is Vanessa Barboni-Halleck, and she is going to tell us all about Another Tomorrow. Hi, Vanessa, and thank you so much for being on Heartstock. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Indeedy. What is Another Tomorrow? And you're the founder um, and the CEO, correct? I am indeed. I am indeed. Um, Another Tomorrow is a brand that is on a mission to reinvent the fashion industry. So we are situated in the luxury category um, and are completely reinventing it through transparency, circular economy, a demand responsive manufacturing model, uh, and more. And and really, we're here to both um, serve the customer, serve the planet, and demonstrate that both can really be done in alignment. And Tell me just a little bit about the history. When was the company founded and how far are you into scaling? Yeah, we were founded at a very interesting time. Uh, I was on a sabbatical from my former career at Morgan Stanley and uh, really kicked things off in the summer of 2018. And I'm sure we'll dig into that story. But the company actually launched at the end of January in 2020. So about six weeks before the world <laughs> shut down uh, for COVID, but it's been an incredible few years. Um, so we're three years in and you know, really proud to say that we have customers in about 50 countries. We are growing rapidly and, and we're really honored to be in the position that we're in leading the industry from an innovation standpoint. And you mentioned Morgan Stanley Uh, As with many of our guests, a broad and diverse background. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you go from Morgan Stanley to the founder of a fashion brand? Well, you know, I'll try and give you the long story short, because I think like many founders, um, you know, you really bring the sum total of your life experience. So I am actually an Iowa gal. uh, Originally, I was born in Grinnell, Iowa, uh, to very academic, technology, and creativity-focused household. So I grew up in small college towns in the Midwest and the Rust Belt, and then it really kind of had an incredible access. Again, you know, early technology and this idea of kind of problem-solving at the intersection of disciplines and a real sense of kind of what was going to be relevant for the world moving forward. And I couldn't have asked for, for a more interesting childhood And, you know, initially I actually thought that I was going to bring all those things together through a multidisciplinary career like architecture, you know, kind of touched on engineering and artistry and and this idea of kind of building. But I ended up going a completely different direction, um, as you can obviously tell (laughs) by 
the Morgan Stanley piece of it. So ended up totally accidentally in banking. Um, I had some family stuff happen in college, made a U-turn from Berkeley to Cornell, switched majors, and spent 15 years actually as a trader, uh, mostly as a trader, running trading businesses in emerging markets for Morgan Stanley. And it was fascinating. You know, I got to really learn deeply about the world. I got to build businesses within that umbrella. Uh, It was incredible. But this idea of, you know, building businesses for future relevance, um, my obsession with sustainability and ESG, I'd actually left to go do a degree in energy and environmental policy in 2007 briefly. It really stuck with me. And by about 2017, I really wanted to find some alignment personally and really bring that passion into into my day job. And I had such an incredible experience at Morgan Stanley and they were really generous and allow me to take a sabbatical uh, to really explore that. And so I gladly took them up on that. And really, I thought I would stay within finance and move into the ESG space within that. And it was much to my own surprise, as I was taking a more academic approach to really understanding how the major industries were, you know, throwing off these negative externalities, these kind of unintended negative consequences, that I became just engrossed in the myriad issues of the apparel industry. I mean, it is a mammoth. It is a hot mess. And I was just enthralled um, to, to the challenges and also the opportunities of really rebuilding that business model for both better economic resiliency and, and also significantly better impact outcomes. And so I ended up spending my sabbatical uh, really doing the, the research for what ultimately became Another Tomorrow. And for our listeners, can you kind of expand on what ESG is and uh, the hot mess that we know (laughs) as the fashion industry? What are some of the worst things that are happening in kind of related to fashion? Yeah, in in your opinion, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And, and so these are sort of uh, th- three of the ways that we think about um, how businesses are performing and, and impacting uh, stakeholders around them. And, you know, through that lens, you know, fashion is pretty awful on, uh, on, on, on most counts. And, you know, I can give you some of the ways that I, that I think are, are most kind of salient, but it's, it's actually really pretty complex. Um, so when we think about fashion, one of the first things that comes to mind is waste. And indeed, that is, in fact, a major problem. So about 50% of all garments produced actually end up in a landfill within the first year. That is exquisitely wasteful. It causes all kinds of problems and disposal often ends up in the global south, even when you know consumers think that they're doing well by by donating items or you know those are the landfills that you're seeing in the Atacama Desert in Chile. It's the incredible waste that ends up in in many countries in Africa, oftentimes really disrupting their local uh, textile industry. so waste waste is a big one. It also is is pretty problematic on a human level. So, you know, the stats are a little fuzzy because the industry is pretty poorly regulated on a global basis. But it's thought that over 90% of global garment workers do not earn a living wage and, and, and far worse than that. So, you know, pretty brutal uh, personal outcomes on, on people who work in the industry. There have been myriad safety issues as well, as people know from like Rana Plaza and the like but not an industry that does does well by supporting the people who are actually manufacturing the garments. 
And then there are all kinds of really complex problems that happen within supply chains. So as a starting point, you know, we don't often think about clothing as being an agricultural product, but it is, or it's made out of plastic or petroleum, essentially. And, and so that causes all kinds of issues in its own right. So a lot of the things that are endemic to, let's say, food supply chains, and those issues are actually just as relevant in, in fashion. And, you know, one of those, for example, cotton, the biggest uh, non-food ag- agricultural crop on the planet and is one of the most intensive in terms of its use of chemical pesticides and insecticides in its conventional form. And that has all kinds of impacts on soil health, biodiversity, even the health of you know the communities where people are, are engaged in cotton agriculture, huge issues around cashmere supply chain and you know the desertification in Mongolia that's come from excess demand in that category. And then you have all kinds of crazy other impacts around the processing stage. So the process of making textiles is highly chemical intensive. It's highly energy intensive. And oftentimes the wastewater is not managed appropriately. So really this is a, you know, this is a systems problem and the impact starts at the farm, works its way all the way up the supply chain from material creation, manufacturing, um, and ultimately end of life. Uh, Not to mention that, you know, all of those textiles that are made out of polyester or other plastics, when they're washed, they actually leach microfibers into the water. And it's it's one of the biggest contributors to actually microfibers in our environment. So this this is a big one. This is a really big one. And we've gotten so used to going, I'm not gonna name names, but buying cheaper and cheaper clothing. It just, if you look at the price of our clothing over time, it's gotten less and less expensive. So in the second portion of our program, I hope we can delve into that a bit. But I I have to kind of go back a little and ask about Berkeley to Cornell, for heaven's sakes. What (laughs) was, was that a culture shock? What was that like? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, it was a, it was a it was a really challenging time in in my life. Uh, you know, personally, and I've just become really candid about this. My mother actually committed suicide my freshman year of that first semester, and so it was a radical kind of shift personally, obviously for my family, and that wow. you know really necessitated me being closer to home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pretty, pretty intense moment in time. But, you know, it was interesting. I, I knew Cornell well. Uh, my dad had done his PhD there. And so I would go up with my with my parents, uh, you know, many summers growing up as a kid. And I, I had a, kind of a deep personal co- uh, connection. Uh, unfortunately, as I just said, I, I went up many summers <laughs> as a kid, not many winters as mm. a kid. Yeah. So I would say if there was one major shock, it was probably the weather, uh, which could have been foreseen, but, but perhaps wasn't fully appreciated. Um, <laughs> but both of them really shared a pretty, you know, expansive ideology. And I really enjoy my time, my time at both. Mm-hmm. And at what point did you delve into sustainability? It sounded like there were some courses mixed in there somewhere. Was that at Berkeley or Cornell? You know, I really started learning about sustainability as a, you know as a kid. You know, growing up in in academic circles, it was you know always kind of in I would say kind of in the water, um, and it wove itself certainly through the trajectory of my college studies and and became more formalized. You know, when I left 
briefly from Morgan Stanley to go do a degree in energy and environmental policy up at up at Columbia. Uh, but I, you know, there was really a through line there ever since I was a kid, just in terms of you know the the, the aspects of academia that I was exposed to there. And I'm just kind of curious about the whole ESG aspect and your work at Morgan Stanley. Were you looking at investments at that point that were supportive of sustainable businesses and social entrepreneurship? So I certainly wasn't a personal level. I mean, the, the, the firm had a great sustainability institute, continues to, and, you know, I think it did a tremendous amount in, in wealth management at the time. It was a lot more nascent in kind of institutional securities in terms of having those investable opportunities at scale. And, and that was the that was the realm in which I was focused. And so, you know, I think I, I probably got my first exposure from the true investment side of things, you know, as an individual investor and, and you know, to the early investments that I made were in in climate tech, super interesting company making uh, micro sensors for the top 20 greenhouse gases, super interesting, uh, and then also in material science. And, and so it was really kind of through that lens. So because when I, when I started, we just weren't outside of renewables, we weren't quite at that sort of institutional scale yet. And we're certainly getting there now, which is really, really exciting. Yes, it seems as time goes by that the whole sustainable business ecosystem is expanding. You mentioned materials and it's exponential. I just am thrilled to see so many different companies working on amazing products that just a mere maybe five years ago, it wasn't the case. So very, very exciting. And we're going to take a little break here when we come back. Hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that as it relates to another tomorrow and some of the materials that you're using in your beautiful clothing. We'll be right back. This is Heartstock. I'm Carol Murphy, your host, and we're speaking with Vanessa Barboni Halleck, and we'll be right back. This is Heartstock Radio, and welcome, welcome back. We are speaking with Vanessa Barboni Halleck, and she is the founder and the CEO of Another Tomorrow. And Vanessa, we were just talking about materials. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I think before we go down that path, what I'd like to talk about is just kind of your overreaching mission. We we touched on that already, but just to kind of reiterate. You want to be part of the solution, I guess. Uh, kind of sums it up. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's really interesting. Um, when I saw the myriad issues in this industry, the complexity of the issues in the in the apparel industry, what was also really striking to me was just the real gap in kind of corporate leadership, particularly outside of the outdoor space. You know, we've had leading brands like Patagonia. Um, for ages. And we just haven't seen that um, in the rest of the market. And, you know, this is an industry that needs, that needs a vision for what's possible, I think. And, and for that, you know, a living, breathing case study that's also really commercially successful, I think is crucial. And so that's really how we view ourselves. And, and we do take a really holistic approach because 
the solutions are not point solutions. You know, there isn't a silver bullet for this. It's not just sourcing. It's not just circularity. Um, it's not just just-in-time manufacturing. It's, it's kind of all of those things that come together to develop a business model for resilience in an economic construct and, you know, resilience in, in an ESG or impact construct that allows this industry to really operate within our planetary boundaries again. So, that's indeed what we're what we're out for. And it's it's been a funny kind of conversation. It was funny getting me to this point because you know, you look at this industry, which again is so wasteful. And you say, well, you know, if there's one thing this industry probably doesn't need, it's another fashion brand, right? And um, and that was something that took me a while to get over. But I, I deeply believe in vision and in leadership. Um and and so you know I'm I'm really honored that that's the role that we we've, we've been uh, playing and continue to play. And let's talk about materials. What is your approach, and how do you ensure that the materials in the materials in all of your products are better for the planet than what we're currently kind of stuck with in many cases? Yeah, you know, it, it all really comes back to this idea, again, that, you know, fashion is by and large an agricultural product. And that means that the impact starts at the farm. So, you know, without question, we do definitely uh, focus on certifications, you know, the highest quality certifications for every material category. But more often than not, that's not enough. And and so if you really want to understand your impact, it really does mean that you have that traceability and ideally relationship back to the farm level. And that was one of the things that we learned very, very early on. So, you know, if you're just speaking to, you know, a few of our supply chains, and, and we're also much more deeply moving into material science as well, so I can touch on that. But the case of wool, let's say. Um, so we source all of our wool, which is of ex- exceptional quality from a portfolio of six um, ethical and regenerative farms in, in Australia and New Zealand. And it, the impacts in that in that category are its carbon emissions. So anything that involves animal agriculture, especially you know sheep or cows or the like, carbon emissions are a real thing. So the carbon impact is a big one. Uh, we recently just brought on, brought on a farm that actually net sequesters carbon, which is really exciting. Biodiversity is an issue. So how the actual land is managed. And so restoring uh, habitats for, in particular, small mammals, bird species, et cetera, super important. Animal welfare, also really important. That was an issue that was really unknown to me, but a huge one, particularly in Australia, uh, which is the dominant exporter of merino wool. And so, you know, we, we are very careful about that sourcing. Same thing, you know, organic cotton, as I mentioned, biggest non-food uh, agricultural crop in the world really intensive use of chemical pesticides and insecticides. Um, so we only use organic cotton. Uh, our biggest two cotton uh, supply chains are totally farm traceable, one predominantly out of the U.S. And we have a new, uh, exciting Ugandan organic cotton supply chain that's going to be coming out this fall. Uh, so again, farm traceability, um, addressing the emissions and chemicals impacts and, and the, the spillover impacts that happen from those things in terms of uh, biodiversity and, and human health. And, you know, I could go through every single, you know, supply chain we've got. We could be here for hours. But, you know, it's really that I, I would say that the common thread here is 
a rigorous commitment to science and sustainability uh, with real traceability and visibility back to the raw material origin wherever possible. And then we're starting to do some really cool stuff in material science as well. And as far as traceability, you have a digital ID, which I think is awesome. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this was probably the single best decision we've ever made. And so what it does is every single item we've ever made has its own completely unique digital identity. And that manifests to the consumer in the form of a QR code on the, on the care content label. There will also soon be a, an NFC tag alongside that it stands for near field communication. And what that means is that we have a huge relational database on our end that stores the information about how every single product was made, uh, which is really exciting. But we so we use that for consumer facing supply chain transparency and also as of a year ago to authenticate the product for our resale uh, channel, which is completely embedded into our business model. And why is resale so important? I noticed companies like Elaine Fisher, for for example. They will buy something back, give you a discount on your new merchandise, and then they resell it. So that keeps it out of the, the it creates circularity. Is that what you're doing? Can you talk it more is. about that? Uh, and we've, you know, we've built our business uh, in a way that's really responsive to where we've found that customers find friction in the resale market. And Eileen mean, Fisher has been such a, such a pioneer. We actually have a great relationship with our team. And so the way that it works is the customer can scan the QR code on the garment and activate the product for resale. And they will have complete transparency into the price at which it will sell, which is something that's really been lacking in the market, um, as well as exactly what your proceeds will be if you choose either cash or store credit. And then if you agree with that assessment, you get a shipping label, you send it to us. We also authenticate it. We do quality control to make sure it's in, in the condition that the customer says it's in. We clean it, it goes up on the website. And the super cool thing is that for the buyer, the buyer can buy a pre-loved, let's say, blazer in the same card as a brand new t-shirt. So it really normalizes the re-commerce experience, which we think is super important. And, and the reason why this is so essential is that we've got to stop making as many clothes as we're making. <laughs> we're making the wrong things. They're, make, they're ending up in landfill. And one of the most uh, impactful things that we can do is actually extend the life of a garment. Um, there's a great, several great pieces actually out by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, but if we can really treat clothing as an asset and make it at the quality that it, that it used to be made, frankly, yeah. and keep these items in circulation, um, then we've got a real shot at reducing the impact um, on the planet while still creating some pretty good economic outcomes for brands. So is another tomorrow bootstrapped or did you have investors? You know, it was initially uh, initially bootstrapped. You know, I came at this really wanting to bring it to market in its kind of clearest vision personally. And I was, I was grateful to be able to do that. But then we took on our first outside investors about six months after we launched. And so we do have, we do have uh, both institutional and individual investors. And what does the future hold? Do you see storefronts in your future or are you going to remain strictly online? 
you know, we're big believers in meeting the customer where they are. And that means having multiple ways of doing so. So we are predominantly direct to consumer, but we do have a number of uh, super top top of class partnerships with you know Bergdorf Goodman, Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, Net-A-Porter, et cetera. Uh, we've also had two successful retail locations, and, and we really see that as as being a part of our future. Uh, but we also believe in efficiency, and and so you know whatever we do, we want to make sure that it's the lightest impact possible and the highest ROI. So currently, can customers find you? at certain physical storefront locations? So right now you'd find us online at anothertomorrow.co or you would find us at any of those uh, partners that I just referenced. Oh, okay. Fantastic. So let's talk about partners and folks within your organization that you'd like to talk about. All of these, you know, this is huge, huge undertaking. Just the materials alone makes you your head spin, of course, but who who has helped you and um, helped create your su- success so far? Yeah, you know, it has been, I think, just a function of so much collaboration and generosity. When I came into this, I, I knew one person in the entire industry, which is a little bit bonkers in hindsight, <laughs> but, um, you know, people have been so excited to be a part of a new chapter and a new vision for this industry that's been so problematic. And we've just had an immense amount of help from the very beginning. You know, I was really blessed when I was first starting out to have the former CMO for Calvin Klein kind of take me under her wing and really teach me the ropes to the industry. Uh, brought on some incredible specialists around sustainability that really helped to create a very rigorous framework from the outside. Um, but our team is just is just amazing. I mean, incredibly hardworking, dedicated, domain experts, working extremely collaboratively to bring this to life, and and our partners too. I mean, we knocked on so many doors early on, <laughs> you know, asking folks to get involved in these you know farm based supply chains using our own raw materials. And you know, as you might imagine, um, we got a lot of no's at the very beginning. But you know, with persistence. And, you know, just continuing to show up and continuing to articulate the importance of this, you know, we've built some pretty remarkable strategic relationships um, really all over the world uh, to, to bring this to life. And so now we're, we're blessed to be in a position where it's really about scale uh, for the most part and, you know, continuing to ensure that as we grow, uh, we're actually deepening our impact. So are there any foundations or organizations um, being based in New York, I would imagine in and of itself is a huge advantage. Are there, um, are there organizations that you work with that you can give a shout out to or point other founders in that direction for support and help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say, you know, it, it is complex. And so therefore it does, it depends sort of on where your focus is, but I can highlight a few. I think on Circularity, Ellen MacArthur Foundation is fantastic. There's an incredible organization called Conservation X Labs that does amazing work and has incredible grants for you know everything from circularity to material science. You know, we've worked closely with them. There's an organization called Canopy based out of um, Vancouver that does amazing work at ensuring that um, we're protecting our ancient and endangered forests, which is actually really a big deal when it comes to fashion because of cellulosic fibers. 
Textile Exchange uh, governs a lot of certifications, has great information around uh, more natural uh, materials. So, you know, myriad organizations. Um, and for folks who are in the, in the States, also the CFDA has a materials library that, that's also quite useful. So it's a fragmented space because the issues are so specific, um, but there are a lot of resources out there today. Amazing. And please tell us, Vanessa, how might folks find you? You've mentioned your website. Yep, anothertomorrow.co. In addition to the product, we also have a number of petitions, uh, long-form narrative around some key supply chains that I think are, you know, just great resources for everyone who wants to learn in this space. Of course, we're on Instagram, at Another Tomorrow, Twitter, LinkedIn, and the usual. Thank you so much for being on Heartstock and sharing your story and huge amount of determination. I really appreciate it. With such pleasure. Thank you for having me. Indeedy. And as usual, we shall be back next week. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Until then, peace. This land was made you and me As I went Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. But on the other side.